You're listening to Oak Park Podcast. And now, here's your host, Matt Murray. I mean, who hasn't thought about it? Ditching the grind, getting back to basics, keeping it local, going into business for yourself, maybe even with a good friend who shares your vision and the commitment to putting in the work. Well, Melody Kratz and Leah Goodwin actually did it. Co-owners of Studio 8 at 1225 Garfield, they're learning on the job how to meet the rigors of running their popular boutique while balancing the demands of family and friendship. I recently toured their unique South Folk Park shop where we discussed all these issues and then some. I hope you enjoy our discussion. For it to be kind of a, the type of place that we would want to find and you know we have similar tastes as it relates to decor and design and art and kind of like off the beaten track funky unexpected not your typical traditional antique store but still you know cool vintage stuff and we we align in terms of our vision and what we like. I mean, there's rarely something where she's like, look at this. And I'm like, eh, er, you know, right. we all, we tip, it's surprising if we disagree on stuff like that. Talk about the importance of being self-employed and kind of how, maybe how you guys got to that point. It's always, um, the store has always revolved around our lives. Um, you know, we both have uh, children and families um, and very hectic lifestyles. And the shop just has to go right into those schedules right so um, you know my children come here with me um, after school and hang out and and it's just part of their life now they they love it and they accept it and we have um, a shared schedule here at the shop where Leah takes over some days so I can be off and take care of things at home that I need to and and vice versa Um, we have um, some wonderful staff that comes in and helps us out so we can be around on Saturdays for games and you know, doing things in the community, but I think that all of our customers know that that you know our families come number one. If if we're sick or we have children that are sick, we'll close the door. You know, we're right. not going to sacrifice any of our home life for it. Sure. How how difficult is all of that to manage? It's it's hard. You know, for me, you know, this is all new for me. I just started this when I started Studio Eight. Leah's been juggling it for a few years longer, but I. It's, it's definitely a balance. It's a balance of, you know, making sure your store doesn't slip and, and fall off the radar, making sure that you always have new merchandise and inventory and, and keeping it interesting and moving it around and reaching out to, um, you know, the community and saying, hey, you know, support us. We're here. You know, we're doing this for you. How many, so how many years in are you guys now? Uh, we're about, uh, I guess, a year and a half now. So looking back, from a year and a half ago, what has happened that you did not anticipate? I didn't anticipate it to be this successful this fast. Um, That's a good problem. It is. It's a great problem. the The community has really embraced us. They love it. Um, you know, when we when we decided to do this, this is a shop that um, we would want to shop at. This is a place that would inspire us. A place where we would want to buy things for our home. Um, and, and it just worked out perfectly. You know, when I saw this building, um, 
I knew, I could see, you know, what others couldn't. And, and I think that that's, you know, it was always here. It was just waiting for us to come in and, and bring it back to life and create this thing. <laughs> we have people constantly tell us how sorry they are that, that we're stuck in this location. And Leah and I consistently say, don't feel sorry for us. We love our location. This yeah. is what makes us us, and, and we're proud to be here. You know, if we were down on um, downtown Oak Park, you know, you wouldn't be able to afford the things in our shop. They would be, you know. And we wouldn't probably wouldn't still be in business. Right, right, exactly. You know, what are some of the things that you guys have learned that could that could help, you know, small independent businesses begin to grow in a place like this? I get a lot of people that come in and go, oh, it's my dream to have a place like this. And how did you do it? And, you know, and I say, you know, initially there, this was an evolution. This wasn't just like boom, let's set up this shop. You know, we, Melody and I were both buying and selling things, you know, out of our homes, um, you know, online, just getting an idea for how to, you know, find an object and put it into a position where you can sell it to make money. And you got to kind of learn, if I was going to give advice to someone on that, I would say kind of start to figure that out before you rent a place and start, you know, and going, go into business. Because when I first started my uh, first vintage shop, you know, I thought, oh, well, you know, if I double my money, I'll be okay. Well, not really, you know, I mean, double your money if you want to go out in business, go out of business in six months. Um, the, the, the key thing I think is buying smart and, but also so that you can price your stuff to sell. Because people can think your shop is has the most amazing stuff in it, but if it's overpriced, like so many boutique shops are, you're gonna what people are gonna say, yeah, cool shop, but way overpriced. And so what we get here is people that come in are like, wow, your prices are really reasonable. This is awesome. Like, and they get excited about it. And then that's what they tell their friends. People come in all the time and go, oh, my friend just told me about this place, and we hear that daily. So we also hear people constantly tell us, you know, you should really raise your prices. And and we could. We definitely could, but we don't want to. We want it to be I want people leaving here thinking they got a deal. They're going to go tell their friends and then their friends are going to come in and and it's going to be everybody's little secret that's in their pocket that they divulge to their best of friends. So you grew up here. I did, yeah. Right. So um you're a bit of an Oak Park whisperer. So I mean, how how <laughs> How does that under you know that understanding of the community help help you make business decisions? You know there there was a, there used to be a shop um, called Flybird and it was on uh, Lake Street and it was a really cute shop. I really liked it. Um, and I was about to open my business um, and I asked her. I said, if you had one piece of advice to give someone that was, is about to open a shop that kind of is similar to this. What would it be? And she's like, oh, geez, I don't know. And then she thought about it. She's like, well, this isn't really advice. I'm just going to say this. And she said, Oak Parkers like to talk about supporting small businesses, but there's a reason I'm leaving. And, you know, you've, you've got to find this niche um, where people will shop because even people with money, even pe- they still want a good deal. And if you're, you know, at the higher, you know, price point, which she was, she was kind of a higher end, but really cool stuff. Um, 
she found that the village didn't support her. And so I feel like in order to kind of work within the framework that is Oak Park and the people that are here, you do, you got to have the cool stuff, but it's got to be at a reasonable price. I, I don't know. It is that is that the biggest challenge? Just kind of like identifying that sweet spot. Yeah. Right. I think that a, another problem that people have is that they go in and they they throw all this money into a new business, um, and and they don't let it grow organically. You know, we came in, we have a a really kind of a raw spot. You know, our flooring's not too great. We could have spent a lot of money on this building and really jazzed it up, but I knew that I would go under if I spent and invested a lot of money in something I wasn't, you know, quite sure about. Um, you know, we still have fluorescent lighting and some things that aren't that attractive. But um, we did it the smart way. We came in, we tried to open a shop with as minimal cosmetic work as we needed, you know, let our, our pieces show for themselves. And it's working. And, you know, as we go down the road, I think we'll be able to do more improvements and have nicer and nicer, you know, environment. But um, it takes time. What's your process? I mean, do you guys, obviously, don't want to share any state secrets here, but but there's a lot of, um, you know, are there, are there certain places you guys like to go? Are there certain, is there a certain style of things that you guys? Oh, yeah. Leah and I, you know, we, we have different focuses. Leah focuses mainly on jewelry, estate jewelry, and, and everything, um, you know, from costume jewelry up to, you know, fine jewelry and Victorian era all over the place and she could probably explain that better but um, and then I do majority of everything else um, and my focus is more on the furniture and art I'm an artist uh, and I was a photographer so um, I do a lot of the upcycling of the furniture refinishing them and so forth um, and then we try to buy a lot of pieces that are just true vintage pieces that don't need to be um, redone you know that are in perfect condition as they are and one of the reasons that we're set up like that and it works is that's my focus and that's hers. But from a business perspective, we we get a lot of our merchandise because we buy from our customers. And so if we have it sort of designated where Leah's the jewelry and, you know, all that kind of stuff and Melody's the furniture and the art, then we're not stepping on each other's toes and we're not, there's not disagreements that come up about oh well you know I talked to that per whatever you know it's designated types of merchandise that minimize um, you know potential for conflicts well Leah's the expert overall on everything she you know especially in the jewelry you know we both know about the furniture and the the you know designers and what typically things are worth but I know nothing about jewelry <laughs> and it, I'm okay with that for you guys I mean is the is sourcing like the most difficult part of this I mean obviously there's there's demand in the community like velvet all but that all depends on you guys having access to it is it well we get stuff in different ways I mean you know like I said we buy from our customers that's an easy a real easy way when people come in we remind people that we buy but you know it's we go to garage sales, we go to estate sales, we go to Goodwills, Salvation Armies, thrift shops. Um, we travel. You know, Melody is, has started throwing her hat in the ring doing um, estate sales. And, um, you know, I'll have someone that call, calls me and says, hey, you know, I just inherited all of my grandmother's jewelry. I don't want to deal with, you know, piece by piece selling this stuff. I don't even know what I have. So I'll do sort of a combination where I'll appraise and I'll let people kind of know what they have. And I'll go, okay, this is your fine jewelry. This is your costume. This is your silver. Um, 
give them an idea of what they have and, you know, make them an offer on all of it. Um, and, 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 you know, in exchange partially for my expertise that I'm providing them with to go, okay, here's what you've got, you know, hopefully you'll sell this to me at a price that's reasonable. Yeah, so in a way it's, it's, it's recycling from the community, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's giving yeah. like a new home. Yeah, absolutely. And we get people that come in here all the time like, oh my gosh, this lamp, my grandparents had this lamp in their living room. Oh my, my uncle had this, you know, people come in and they, they see things that stir up memories and of their childhood, of their, um, yeah, and it just, it loosens people up. People start having a good time with it. So with your, with your guys' respective sort of specialties in all of this, you know, when the phone rings and someone's like, I got a bunch of stuff from my grandmother or my great aunt mm -hmm. or something like that, and you go to their house, what are you hoping to see, like, when that garage door opens? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like any normal dealer or picker, I mean, you have your weak spots. You know, my weak spots are mid-century furniture and lamps, as you can tell from around here. Um, so, you know, there's always things you're hoping for. Um, you know, the a lot of the fun I, is not knowing what you're going to Right, find. and getting something very yeah. unexpected. Or just, you know, I can't tell you the number of times we've just gone on a hunch with something. We're like, I have no idea what this is, but my gut is telling me to get this. And we come home and we... We might have a flop or we might have, you know, a true jewel and really make some nice money off of it or it'd be something that we'll even keep ourselves and prize. And um, it, it's just, it's it's going by your gut a lot of the times. Yeah, but the fun of it, the fun of it is the never knowing. Sure. And then the adrenaline rush of finding something super cool or something that's very underpriced that's very of valuable. higher value. I mean... Obviously, there's a big buzz in that, but it's the it's the unknown, which you know. So do you guys think it's exciting. like, you know, mid-century stuff, at least like the mainstream stuff, right? Like 20 years ago, you couldn't give this stuff away. Everyone's like, get this stuff out of here. Like now, it's I don't know if it's Mad Men or it's just time. You know, it's everything. It's, it's I mean, it, it's been marketed for us to right. to be you know find this desirable right now. It's also a very streamlined look and it's a very organized look you know and mid-century furniture was about you know simplifying and so that is very desirable in our lifestyles right now um I, you know i keep trying to to jump ahead and figure out what the next craze is going to be so i can start you know stock getting that furniture it's like or whatever lazy boy chairs and <laughs> oh gosh. well i know the 80s is going to come back and bite us in the butt at some point but well it's I already starting it... <laughs> to that sort of swatch modern mm -hmm. yes you know it's basically Old i think Nintendos. what happens is when the when the children of that time so like the you know like i was a kid in the 70s and 80s so like now when i as being someone that's more in my prime buying age and i see this like 80s modern metal table with like pink and turquoise triangles i'm like oh my gosh like i am drawn to it because it's pulling at you know there's a nostalgia factor and um going back thinking about the things that were cool in your childhood and then sort of getting over it and being like oh that's lame and then seeing it again it's like oh you know you get a renewed energy about it how much of nostalgia like drives this business I think most of what drives this business is the melody and my 
alignment in terms of what we find visually appealing. Would Absolutely. you say that's true? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, majority of the stuff I, when I purchase it, I go, if it doesn't sell, would I put it in my home? You know, is this something that I would like to live with? You know, and there's some pieces that, you know, I buy that I that I do know will sell and I wouldn't put them in my house, but majority of the stuff, it looks like my home. Right, so for you guys, is there one thing that you guys have just agreed not to disagree, or agreed to disagree on? Well, we don't go to bed angry at each other anymore. <laughs> we make sure we kiss before. We don't, we don't, we don't have arguments over texts. <laughs> <laughs> we have to we have to do them face to face. That's a challenge in and of itself having a, a business with your best friend. But you know we keep checking in and trying to make sure that you know we're communicating. We both have a vision for the shop that we're not going to let our silliness get in the way of. Yeah, because that's what like it takes to the number one business rule, right? Don't go into business with your best friend. Absolutely. So what have yeah. you guys learned from that? Um, it's, it's hard to say, don't let the personal and that, because our personal lives and our business is completely intertwined. You know, we were friends and then we both started doing this and then it's intertwined and we're friends when we're at work. Um, you know, we'll certainly disagree on things and we've like any relationship you learn what works and what doesn't work. And as you get to know that other person better and better, you you learn better ways of of um, being a part of that relationship and so it's it's you know having that um, that love for that person the love for what you're doing together and not being afraid to be like you know what I I could have handled that better I could have said that differently and owning it and just communicating usually when things start to kind of feel stress between us it's because we just haven't been talking absolutely so yeah, like we, any other any other relationship it's like right? any absolutely. other relationship <laughs> well thanks thanks you guys so much um i really enjoyed our conversation and um uh thanks for showing me around the shop thank yeah. you thank you